0: Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. Connect further with us by downloading the Dream City Omaha app or finding us on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe for more. Hey, Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good to see you. It's good to be with you. Good to be back home. Last week, I was uh, preaching for a friend of mine in the Seattle area. So I was up there giving all the Seahawks fans a hard time. I asked my friend, I said, can I preach in my 49ers jersey? He says, I think that'd be a little too far. Um, But I made sure to get a couple jabs in there to to all the Seahawks fans in that area. Uh, Last week, Pastor Angel preached, covered the entire book of Deuteronomy. Didn't she do a great job? My goodness, like there was so much in that, that book and in her message. If you if you weren't here, if you haven't listened to it, would encourage you to go back and listen to it. She she said, as a therapist, it reads like a good therapy session. And the questions that Moses asked and God asked through Moses and the questions for us to ask ourselves. Is it time for us to move on? What have we what have we done with our freedom. And, and so just, again, would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about the book of Joshua. We've started the book of Joshua in our reading plan. Some are excited about Joshua. I'm really excited about the book of Joshua. We've read how that for 40 years, the the nation of Israel who have been delivered from Egypt out of slavery wandered around the, the desert for 40 years. How many feel like you've been wandering with them for 40 years? As we've been reading chronologically, if you're, if you're just joining us, we at the beginning of the year, said that we're going to read through the Bible chronologically together. And so on your way out, if you need to, to stop and get a, a new copy of the reading plan, you can do that. If you download the app, it's on the app. Go to our website. It's on the website as well. We've been reading through the Bible chronologically, and then when we gather on Sundays, we, we kind of talk about what we've read the previous week. So this week, we started in the book of Joshua, and, and we've seen how that God has Has followed this pattern with the nation of Israel, and he follows the same pattern with us. And the pattern is deliverance, consecration, and inheritance. He delivers them from slavery, he consecrates them, which means to set apart. He sets them apart as his own people. And now we see them at the end of Deuteronomy, beginning of Joshua, camped just outside the border of the land that God has promised to them. For us as New Testament believers, the picture is deliverance from slavery to sin. We're not in physical slavery, but, but we were enslaved to sin before Christ. So the deliverance from sin, the consecration or being set apart, being adopted into his family as co-heirs with Christ, and then the inheritance. The inheritance that the Israelites had was a piece of ground. The inheritance that we have is the abundant life through Christ. I'm thankful that there is an inheritance that one day I get to look forward to, but there is also a hope and an inheritance for here and now. John 10, Jesus said, my purpose is so that you might have life and life more abundantly. So we see in the book of Joshua, them taking the first steps into possessing the inheritance. Today, I want to talk to you about how to possess your promise, how to live the life that God has called you to. To live. Moses has now died. It's time for them to cross over into this land. God calls Joshua and says, Joshua, it's your turn. It's your turn to lead. It's your time to lead these people into what I have given them. Before I do, though, I, I do I like the chronological plan. How many of you guys you, you enjoy reading through the Bible chronologically? It's, it's been good for you. And and I like the the online discussion with the, the on the app and the QA and different things like that. I feel like part of part of my job in going through this chronologically is to every now and then just kind of pause and maybe answer questions that you didn't know you were asking or questions that you didn't know you wanted the answers to or questions that you you want to ask but you're not sure how to ask there have been questions because how do you, you know there's there's hard things that we read in this in the scripture there's hard text there's there's things that we have to wrestle with things that we have to to kind of battle with and wrap our minds around, God, what are you saying here? God, why did this happen? God, why did you do this? And and I think one of those questions that if you haven't asked it out loud, you've asked it in your head. If you never have personally asked it, somebody has asked it of you. And the question is this, if God is all loving, then how can he order the destruction of men, women, and children as Joshua and the Israelites enter into the promised land? How many of you have either asked that or been asked that? Many of us have have wondered that. And there are different answers that have been given. But as we, as we read Deuteronomy, we see God time and again talking about the people who are inhabiting the land. And he says, when you get into the land, you need to destroy every inhabitant. You need to get rid of all of the inhabitants of the land. And then he says, men, women, and children. And we can read that. And if we're if we're not careful or if we're, we're not sure in what we're reading, why we're reading, it's like, God, well, if you are love and if you love everyone, then, God, why would you condemn these people to death? So I want to I take some time before we get to Joshua. I want to try to answer that question for you before we get into possessing the promised land. Because when you read Joshua, it reads like Braveheart. It reads like... It reads like the, the best war novel ever. The first 10, 11 chapters of Joshua, you see this battle and they conquer this city and this battle and this king. And you even see times Joshua taking the king of the city and putting him on a spear and leaving him there till evening. And it's like, dang, like that's, that's brutal. And it's like, God, why would, you, why would you order this? And so I want to I wanna, I wanna kind of just give you some food for thought this morning, I think, first of all, if we go back to Genesis chapter 15, God is with Abraham, and Abraham's walking around through Canaan, and God tells Abraham that, I'm going to give you a son, and your offspring is going to be like, be like the, the stars in the sky, and every, every place that your foot is touching is land that I've given you. He says, but for 400 years, your descendants will live in a foreign land. They'll come back after four generations, and in Genesis 15, God says this, they'll come back in four generations. Why? Because the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Saying the people who are living here are sinful and it's only going to get worse. So I'm gonna take you, I'm gonna plant you here, but then don't worry, I'm gonna bring you back to drive out these people because it's worse. It's bad, but it's gonna get worse. And so why would God order the destruction? A couple things. Number one, we have to understand God is sovereign. What does that mean? That means God's the boss and you're not. Yeah. Right, like you ever had a little uh, younger sibling say to you, like, you're not the boss of me. I can't remember how many times Jordan said that to me. Like, shut up, John, you're not the boss of me. And sometimes we have to understand that, yes, God is the boss. And and, and God being sovereign is essentially, God gets to do whatever God wants to do, and there is no question asked because we don't understand God. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so if God says something is going to happen or something needs to happen, it's going to happen and it needs to happen. And it's not our job to question. It's just our job to walk in obedience and trust and faith. So God in his sovereignty has decided to remove this people from their land. It's like, well, well why would God take their land to give it to the Israelites? First of all, it wasn't their land. And even afterwards, it's not even Israel's land. Because the Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So God gets to do whatever he wants to do with what he has created. So number one, God is sovereign. Number two, we have to understand the immorality of the Canaanites. Like these were, these were messed up people. They Not only did they worship idols and and worship false gods, but they they were into human sacrifice, adult human sacrifice, child human sacrifice. They were practicing sexual immorality to the point of bestiality and incest and things of that nature. It was a a vile and a wicked people. And so in God's wanting to remove them from the land and Joshua's commands to get rid of all of them God constantly says you have to remove all of them. You gotta get rid of all of them because if you leave any of them, then they're going to to tempt you and convince you and you'll start to worship their gods and you'll start to live like them. You'll start to be like them. You'll start to think like them. If you allow them to remain in the land, they're gonna be a thorn in your side. They're gonna be a bad influence on you. The New Testament tells us not to be unequally yoked. And so we, we have to understand the immorality of the people living in the land. But if you were to ask me, I think, I think all of that is true, but I think there's something deeper that's at play. And any chance that I get to bring the Nephilim in on a Sunday morning, I'm going to do that. And so, so for me, it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. If you go back to Genesis 3, sin enters, and what does God do? He curses the man. You're going to have to work the ground now. He curses the woman. Pain is going to be in childbirth now. But then he curses the serpent. He says, I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. Now, is this the offspring of snakes? No, this is the offspring of the, 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 the enemy, the devil, the the serpent in the garden, the tempter, the accuser of the brethren, Satan, as he's referred to in the book of Job. And so so he says, there's going to be an enmity between your offspring and the offspring of of Eve, of Adam and Eve. And he says, says, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. A couple chapters later in Genesis 6, we see these divine beings looking on the daughters of women coming down, cohabitating. That's not even the right word. With them and producing offspring, a race of giants that were known throughout the land were referred to as the Nephilim. And Genesis 6 tells us that in the days of Noah and then afterwards, the Nephilim were in the land as these divine beings had relations with human women producing these giants. Now let's fast forward to Numbers. Numbers 13, the spies go into the promised land and they come back and they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because they're so big. Because we saw the descendants of Anak there. We saw the descendants of the Nephilim there. there. We were like grasshoppers to them. There's no way that we can take this. So for 40 years, they wander around in the wilderness. Now, Joshua happened to be one of those spies. Joshua remembered going into the land and seeing the descendants of the Nephilim there. Now, now, what was at play here? I think what was at play was the enemy trying to come in and dilute and destroy the lineage of Eve, knowing that the prophecy was one day, her seed was going to crush his head. So if I can do anything to prevent Jesus from coming, and if that includes coming down and messing up the genetic pool that God is trying to use, Then I'm going to do that. So, as, as the seed of God through the nation of Israel moves into the promised land, the seed of the enemy remains in the promised land. And God says, You have to completely remove every seed of the enemy. Men, women, and children, because you don't know where that dormant seed might be laying. Some of you, as you're walking into the promise that God has for you, you thought you had gotten rid of some of those sinful habits and patterns and behaviors and thoughts, but there are dormant seeds that if you let go unchecked will one day sprout and seek to choke out what God wants to do in your life. And so he tells them when you go in, you have to completely destroy. You have to completely remove. And I think we have a a clue to that in Joshua chapter 11. As the the writer is telling us of all the exploits and all the battles that they won, all the kings that they conquered, all the cities that they they took. In Joshua chapter 11, it tells us this. During this period, Joshua destroyed all the descendants of Anak. This is the, the one that they They were afraid of when they first went in. This is the reason that they didn't want to go in in the first place. We saw the descendants of Anak there. We saw the Nephilim. We saw the giants who lived in the hill country of Hebron, Deber, Anim, and the entire hill country of Judah in Israel. Now, we don't know who wrote Joshua, when Joshua was written, but we do know that parts of Joshua were definitely written at a later date. Well, how do you know that? Because it refers to the, the promised land as Israel and Judah. And the promised land wasn't divided up into Israel and Judah until the time of the kings when the two na- the, the two kingdoms were separated. And then David later will bring unity to the, to the kingdoms, unite us, as Robert the Bruce would say in Braveheart. But nevertheless, I digress. So he says, the entire hill country, Judah and Israel, he killed them all and completely destroyed their towns. Verse 22 says, none of the descendants, go ahead, go to the next one, none of the descendants of Anak were left in the land of Israel. So he he went in with the mindset and the purpose of removing every descendant of the Nephilim, every descendant of the seed of the enemy, every descendant that that, that would one day try and sprout and, and keep the the offspring and the seed of Eve from coming to to pass for the redemption of humanity. They destroyed all of them, even though some still remained in Gaza. Gath, who was from Gath? Goliath, Goliath. we'll get there in a couple of weeks, in Ashdod. So when they go into the promised land, their command is given to remove them. Now, what's interesting is is God says all of the, the towns and the villages that lie on the outskirts, you can offer treaties of peace to. Offer them peace. And if they accept it, then live at peace with them. But anybody who's living in the land, I've promised you, you're to completely destroy. What's interesting is when you read Joshua, every place that it went that he says he completely destroyed them, all their inhabitants. He completely destroyed them, all their inhabitants. He completely destroyed them, all their inhabitants. And you go back and you check that with Numbers 13. When the spies came back, they said, we went here and we saw the descendants of giants and we went here and we saw the descendants of giants and we went here and we saw the descendants of giants. Those are all the places that Joshua now as the leader of the nation goes in and completely destroys. So why does God do it? That's why God does it, all right? Are we all on the same page? Good, A little history lesson for you. Get you started, ready to learn today. Joshua chapter one, we're gonna get into the message. That wasn't even my message, but I have five minutes left to give you what I wanna give you. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, says this, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' Moses' assistant. Say that five times fast. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you. Some of you need to highlight that in your Bible. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. Promise you what I promised Moses. His promises are good generation to generation. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you, from the Negev in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Now, what's interesting is when you look at the land plotted out by God and promised promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, generationally, when you, when you look at the, the total allotment and God said it's from this border to that border to that border to that border and then you compare that with, with what they were able to conquer and possess at the height of Israel's kingdom under David and Solomon, it was about 10 to 15%. They, they were able to possess and conquer out 10 to 15% of what God had truly promised them. Just makes me wonder how much we leave on the table. How much more is there for us that we just aren't possessing? because we got comfortable or we decided enough was enough. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Not just be strong and courageous, but now you have to be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave. You don't deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. How how many of you want to be successful in everything you do? What do I have to do? Obey all the instructions that the Lord gives. It's that easy. Really, it's that easy? Yeah, look look at what he says. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Study God's word. Meditate on it. Get it in your heart. Get it in your spirit. Set your life according to it. Let it be the standard by which you live. Then you will be prosperous and successful in everything that you do. This is my command, verse nine. Be strong and courageous. Three times, four, if you count this, do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God, we thank you for your word today. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, that you would have your way, do what only you can do. May these not be my words, but yours. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Joshua, we see Israel taking the promised land. It's a a picture for us as New Testament believers of of taking possession of what God has promised to us. Then walking through the wilderness was the the New Testament picture of of deliverance, of salvation, of that journey of of knowing God and following God and and drawing close to him and, and allowing him to dwell. Remember the, the tabernacle was so that God could come and dwell with his people. John chapter one tells us that the word became flesh and made made his dwelling place among us. And so we see pictures in the, in the Old Testament of principles in the New Testament. We see Moses as a type of Christ, the one who delivers his people, Jesus delivering us from bondage to sin. We see Joshua as a type of Christ, leading them across into the promised land. We see, we see Jesus leading us into inheritance and into promise as New Testament believers. And today, as we look at what we need to do to possess our promise, to, to take hold of what God has given us as we follow the pattern of deliverance, consecration, and inheritance as we seek to walk into the fullness of that inheritance. What are the things that I must do? I want to give you a couple of things really quickly and then we're going to get out of here because North Carolina's got a game to win. And then we're going to beat Duke in the final four. So just get ready for that. If we're gonna take hold of the possession God has for us, the first thing that we have to do is we have to get rid of fear and doubt. Yeah. We have to remove fear and doubt. I think if anything, over the last two years, we've seen what fear and doubt has done to the church. We've seen what fear has done in the lives of people. We, we turn on the, the TV and, and it feels like every media outlet wants to just inundate us with fear it's it's constant fear and it's not just the news i'm not just talking i'm not just bashing the news stations but have you noticed like even the tv shows that have come out in the last couple of years like they're not like they're not like overtly bad or but there's just like this dark undertone to them have you sensed that have you seen that like the movies that have been coming out there's just like this there's this ominous this darkness to the movie and it's just not even a scary movie but it like you leave that movie and you feel like oh like that's a, that that's not right and and we're being inundated with fear and the truth is that fear paralyzes us. I read this quote from Plato. And Plato said this, he says we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life, though, is when men are afraid of the light. I'll say it again. It said, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. We can't be afraid. We can't allow fear to dictate, to, to control, to manipulate, to twist, to distort, to paralyze, to keep us where we are. That's what happened to the Israelites in Numbers 13. They came back and they were afraid because of what they saw in the land. Yeah, it's great, but it's not worth it because they're bigger than we are. They're stronger than we are. And they began to spread this report of fear among the people to the point where they said, you know what? No, we're just, we're, let's just go back to, let's go go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Let's go back to bondage. Why? Because I'm so afraid that I would rather feel the whip of an Egyptian than attempt to step into what God has for me. And so many times fear keeps us bound as well. Fear keeps us paralyzed as well. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, his command My command to you is this to be strong and courageous. What does it mean to be courageous? Courage isn't the absence of fear, but courage is the willingness to act despite fear. It's not that I don't feel afraid. It's that I am afraid, but I'm stepping out regardless because I'm not going to allow that thing to control me. So how do, I, how do I do this? How do I allow my faith to rise up? How do I, how do I put my fear to death? I want to give you two things. If you are to, to conquer your fear and allow your faith to be built, the first thing that we have to do is we have to remember God's word. Remember God's word. Joshua chapter one verse seven. What does he say? He says, "Be careful to obey." All the instruction Moses gave, you don't deviate from it. He goes on in, in verse 8 to say, study the, the book of instruction. If you just meditate on my word, allow my word to penetrate your heart. You want God's voice to be bigger than the voices outside. The problem is we spend so little time listening to God and so much time on social media and watching the news and listening to our friends. And we have all of these sources feeding us fear, feeding us fear, feeding us fear, feeding us fear. and it's like, God, why am I so afraid? Can you just encourage me and I'll read for two minutes today. Can you just counteract in two minutes everything I've taken in the rest of the week? What are you feeding yourself? What are you spending your time meditating on? What are you fixing your thoughts on? And I'm not just talking about remembering God's word in terms of the way to live. I'm talking about remembering God's word as it pertains to his promises to you. We get so discouraged that we don't even know how to encourage ourselves. We don't know what to pray over ourselves. We don't know what to pray over our kids because we don't know what his word says. When our our kids are acting crazy, we don't know to pray that if I train a child in the way that he should go, when he's old, he won't depart from it. When I feel alone, I don't know to pray that, God, your word says that you'll never leave me nor forsake me, that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When I fall on my face and, and I feel like a failure and everyone's telling me how bad I've blown it, I don't know that I can pray that I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, that it's not about who I am or what I've done, but it's about what Christ has done and who he is in my life. When I, when I get discouraged, I don't know that, that I can, can call on the Holy Spirit who Jesus sent as a comforter. When I, when I feel down, I don't know those things to pray because I haven't meditated and studied God's word. We have to remember God's word. Don't forget it. Focus on it. Here's the thing. You get to choose whose word you listen to. You can choose. Do Do I listen to my friends or do I listen to God? Do I listen to myself or do I listen to God? Whose voice am I going to give priority to in my life? The choice is yours. You can turn one off and turn one up. What are you doing with your time? I was at the gym the other day with my wife, and she always laughs at me when we go to the gym because I'm, I'm, I'm typically very introverted. Like when I go to a party, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not going to go talk to everybody at the party. I will sit in the corner. And if you want to have a conversation with me, you can come talk to me. And it's not because like I'm bougier. Like, it's just like, that's where I'm comfortable. Like in my space, by myself, and I'll say hi to you. Angel, on the other hand, she like has everybody's like life story in the first 10 minutes of being there. And it's funny because when we go to the gym, like, I don't know what it is, but like, I have both headphones in. And if you go to the gym, you know, both headphones, I'm not here to talk. I have both headphones in, but all these guys at the gym, they still want to come up and start having these conversations. So I just, I have all my friends at the gym. Like, I've got like 80 year old friends and 16 year old friends. Like, all the guys at the gym know me when I walk in. It was funny, we were there yesterday, and this guy comes up to me, he's like, hey, how's it going, man? And so I had to take an AirPod out, because I see he, I saw his lips, and he was talking to me, and I can't hear you. So like, hey, what's up? Like, what's going on? He's like, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing good. How are you? He's like, oh, man, I'm good. I'm just trying to get skinny like you. And I went, like, who are you? Are you did you just call me skinny? You just called me skinny. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so like, for, for those of you that have been here for a while, and you remember me telling you the story about the, the person that came in asking why the fat Mexican wasn't preaching. That was me a couple years ago. And so now this guy's at the gym and he's calling me skinny. I was like, you are my best friend. Can I have your number? Can you text me that just so I have it in writing? Because no one's going to believe me. And and I went home and I was thinking about it later. And I was talking to Angel. I was like, you're never going to believe what this guy called me. She's like, no, he did not. I was like, yes, he did. She's like, why would he call you that? I was like, babe. And I was talking to her about it, and I was like, you know, it's funny how, how important your perspective is, yeah. right? Like, I was talking to this guy. He's 47. He's, he's a, a, a nice dude, bigger dude. But to this guy, when he goes home and he talks to his wife, he's probably going to go home and say, hey, I had a conversation with the young skinny kid at the gym today. <laughs> right? But to the 17-year-old kid, he goes to school and he's like, hey, that old fat guy at the gym was trying to talk to me again. That's me too. In both situations, they're talking about me. But to one, I'm the young skinny guy. To another, I'm the old fat guy. Your perspective matters. And whose voice you listen to matters. Let me tell you, seven days out of the week and twice on Sundays, I'm going to choose to be the young skinny guy. Kids, shut your mouth. I don't want to hear it. I'm the young skinny guy. But the question is, whose voice, whose voice are you listening to? So when the enemy comes to you and says, hey, you're just a failure. Like, you're never going to do anything. You're never going to amount to anything. Hey, hey young person, you're trying, to, you're trying to fight for your purity? You already blew that. Like, why are you even trying at this point? We're we going to listen to the lies that the enemy wants to bring, or do we go to God's word and allow his word to penetrate our heart? I'm not a failure. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. I'm not, I'm not the tail. I'm the head. I'm not beneath. I'm above. That's what God's word says about me. So I don't, know what you're, I don't know who you're looking at, but that's clearly not who I am. I choose to be and believe what God says about me. We have to remember his word. The second thing that we have to do is we have to remember his work. Remember what he's done. Right? Like, have some of those memorials in your life that you can look back on and begin to remind yourself. In Joshua chapter three, they're getting ready to, to go across the river. And here's what, here's what the instructions are the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed. So, so Joshua tells them, go out, stand there, let the priests go first. As soon as they step foot in the water, what happens? The, the river starts, stops running. And it's not like it was during the dry season. It was during the harvest season when the river was overflowing its banks, the Bible says. So the, the priests go out there carrying the, the, the Lord's presence. Dry, the, the ground drives up. says that they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now, when I read this, you know what this reads like to me? It reads like that scene in Free Willy where the kid's standing there on the jetty and he's got his hand up like this. And Free Willy like jumps over him into the, right? Like you didn't know this, but there was a theme song to the crossing. Go ahead and put the put that. Turn it up. Oh, you don't know about this. Michael Jackson sang as the Israelites and the priests were standing there like this in dry ground. Go you can turn it off. Facebook's going to shut us down. Like, in my mind, that's what's happening here. Some of you are like, what just happened? You had to be a 90s kid, I guess, to appreciate what we just experienced. So they go out, they stand, the ground dries up, they walk across dry ground. But before they get out, before they, before they move on, chapter 4, look at what Joshua does. Go put that next verse up there. He tells 12 men, go grab a stone. He says, well, we'll use these stones to build a memorial. One man from each tribe, pick up a stone in the rock or a stone in the river, carry it on your shoulder. When we camp tonight, we're gonna build this memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us. Remind us what? Remind us of everything that God did. Remind us of the miracles that he performed on our behalf. How many of you in your family, you have memorials? Mom, dad, why do we do this? We do this because of God's goodness. We do this because God's always provided. We do this because God is gracious and he's been faithful to us. Mom why, do we, Mom, why do we go to church every Sunday? We do this because God's good. We do this because there was a time before you. Mom didn't know Jesus. Jesus. Mom was on the hot mess express. Jesus reached down and he picked me up. He healed me and he restored me and he renewed me. Why do we do this? We do this because God has done so much to us. Dad, why do we do this? We do this because your dad was addicted for years. That struggled, sexual sin for years. But as I, as I, Spent time with God, and in his word, he renewed my mind. As I set my thoughts upon him, he He removed those old thoughts, and he gave me a new mind and a new heart. We do this because of what God has done for us. Not only do we have to remember what God's word is, we have to remember and have those memorials that we can look back on and say, listen, when I get discouraged, there's something in my way, I can look back and say, look at how God moved then. Look at what God did then. And if my God did it then, my God can do it again. But if he was faithful to me then, he's going to be faithful to me now. No matter what I'm going through, I know that my God is bigger than that. We have to remember God's word. We have to remember his works. We have to get rid of the fear and the doubt. Isn't it crazy how so many times in life we're afraid of things we shouldn't be? They're like I don't want to do that because what if? what if I fail? What if I mess up? What if it doesn't work out? What if it, what if it blows up in my face? What if it doesn't? Right. Like, stop imagining the worst case scenario and just start imagining the best case scenario. Instead of saying, what if it fails? Start asking, man, what if this, what if this succeeds? What if I'm successful in starting this nonprofit? What if I'm successful in starting this business? What if this relationship is successful, unlike my last eight? What if? No shave. What if? There are so many times in my life where, whether it was the fear of failure or the fear of man, I have refused to step out and try anything because what if? You know what I've learned? About 90% of the things that I was afraid would happen have never happened. All the things that, that paralyzed me because this is going to happen, that's never happened. Sunday night, I flew back from Seattle and I got in late. I, I ended up getting home about 1.30. By the time I got to my truck, drove home, 1.30, I walk in and you know lights are off. Getting into bed, getting ready for bed. And as I'm getting into bed, the window in our bedroom was cracked a little bit. So I got into bed and all of a sudden, I started hearing this sound. And like, <laughs> you know how at night in the dark, you hear things, and it's always way worse. While well, I was laying in bed, and I heard the sound that at the, mo- at, the, at the time, it sounded like somebody was right outside my window in my backyard sharpening a knife. <laughs> Listen, I'm not even, like, that's what it sounded like. It was like, shing, shing, shing. And it was rhythmic, too. <laughs> shing. Shing. And I'm laying in bed like two o'clock in the morning. And in my head, like somebody's out back trying to, like, they're shard, they're plotting my death. They're getting ready to burst in here, they're gonna kill me. So I jump out of bed and I put my ear up next to the window, like, what is that? Shing. Shing. And I pull back the curtains and it stopped. They see me. And so I closed it and like, I just stood there and it's dark and it's quiet. And I heard shing and it started again. So at this point, I'm like, okay, Jules' hamster got out. We've got a rodent in the vent somewhere. Like I'm going to have to rip up my flooring to get this stupid thing out. And then I'm thinking, well, maybe Angel's like scratching on the metal, the metal post of something. Like I'm just trying to play it. So I go over to Angel's side of the bed and I like lean over her to like listen if she's like losing her mind in her sleep. And then I'm like, if she wakes up at two o'clock in the morning and this man is standing over, she's going to stab me. So I, I left and I went back to the other side. Shing. Like, just killed me already, right? Finally, it stopped. Ended up falling asleep. Woke up the next morning. I was like, babe, there was somebody outside trying to murder us last night. <laughs> like, the sound. I just I heard someone, like, sharpening a knife. And she's like, oh, my gosh. It's so funny that you say that because I heard it the other night, too. And I was listening outside. And I walked. She said, I even went outside. Like, you're braver than I am. Because... <laughs> Like, you'd have got killed. I'd still be alive. She's like, I walked outside to see what it was. I couldn't see anything. And so so let's go investigate. So we go outside, and we walk around the corner. And right outside our bedroom window is our AC unit. And a stick from the tree had fallen and gotten stuck in the vent. And as the wind was blowing that evening, it was blowing the fan around. And the stick was positioned just right, just to where the the fan would just slightly scrape. Shing. 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 Just slightly enough to produce the sound. And in my mind, it was some serial killer in the backyard sharpening his knife, when in reality, it was just a stick in my AC unit. How many times in our life are we so paralyzed by fear of something that we never should have been afraid of in the first place? Now, what if this happens? God, it's gonna, it's gonna, stop. Stop letting fear control you. In in Joshua, we see this as well. Joshua had sent two spies into the promised land. He said, go check out Jericho. It's funny that he sent two spies because in Numbers, he was one of the two spies that came back with a good report. He says, I'm not sending out 12 of you. I'm going to send out two. Sends out two spies. and says, check out the city. Check out Jericho. And they're there. And, and as they're there, they encounter this woman named Rahab. She takes her up to their house. The, the city guards know that there's some spies now. She hides them. She goes upstairs at night to have a conversation with them. And as she goes upstairs to, to have a conversation with them, she, she tells them, like, we, we knew you guys were coming. Look at, look at throw that next verse up there. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She's talking to the spies. She says, we are all afraid of you. And the spies kind of looked at each other and said, no, we're afraid of you. And she says, no, we're afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. They said, we've been living in terror. She said, we, we heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. We heard about you 40 years ago. She said, we were afraid of you 40 years ago. But the spies came into the land and they left afraid, not knowing that the people in the land were the ones who were shaking in their boots, living in terror. She says, we know what you did to Sihon and Og. Jace was reading this first service and he said, I thought the man's name was OG, like, That's what he said. He said, I thought it was OG. We know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. They come into the land, and they had to walk around the desert for 40 years because there was a generation of people who were so afraid of the inhabitants. And at the first conversation they have with the inhabitants, they said, we've been living in fear for 40 years because of what we know that your God is able to do. There are things in your life that are paralyzing you and controlling you and distorting your perspective and causing you to see things in a way that is inaccurate and untrue, that if you don't learn to put your fear to the side and to conquer that thing, it will keep you right where you are and keep you from possessing the fullness of what God has for you. How do I possess my promise? How do I take hold of that? You have to get rid of fear and you have to get rid of doubt. You have to build up your faith through God's word and by remembering his works. And then the second thing, and then we're done. Luis, you can come back. The second thing is this. If we're going to possess the land, if we're going to possess the promise, we have to stay humble in the process. Somebody say, stay humble. Stay humble. stay humble. stay humble in the process. A couple of scriptures that I want to give you, and we're going to go rapid fire through these. Go ahead and put that first one up there. Three days later, Israelite officers went through the camp. They're getting ready to go into the land giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the ark, move out from your positions and follow them. Next one. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. You've never been this way before. You haven't done this before. You haven't tried this before. You need somebody to show you the way. You know what I've found is is that every day I follow Jesus is a day he takes me somewhere I've never been before. Like there are times where I follow myself and I go back to what I've known. But every day I spend drawing closer to him is a day that he, he leads me to a place that I hadn't experienced before. God, I've never pastored a church before. That's all right, I'll show you, I'll lead you. God, I've never done this before, just follow me. God, I don't know what to do. I've never never been in a pandemic before, just trust me. God, how do you want me to handle this? Don't handle it, let me handle it. We have to stay humble in the process. God is a God of the process. We want it to be microwave Christianity, but it's not, it's crock pot. It is, it takes time. You You can choose to eat a meal out of the microwave and it's like, eh. Or you can wait for what God's cooking in the crock pot. It's always worth it. You can't do it on your own, you can't get there on your own. What happens is so many times we, we get saved and we give our hearts to the Lord, and you know, we join a couple small groups, we teach a couple classes, we you know, we do a couple things, and it's like, all right, God, thanks. I think I got it from here. God, thanks for removing those giants, but God, I, I think we'll take it from here. And we get to a point where our pride wells up inside of us, and we think that it was us all along or we think that we no longer need God. And here Joshua is reminding them, listen, we're going into a place that we've never experienced before. Some of you are are taking steps into freedom that you've never experienced before. Some of you, God is calling you into places this year that you've never been before, and it's terrifying. It's scaring you, and, and you have that tendency or that urge within you to just like, let me just shrink back, let me not. Don't. Fight that. Step out in faith. Allow him to be your guide. We see that the, they, they they stayed humble, and every time that they sought God, they were given victory. And then the couple times where they don't, what happens? They're destroyed. Achan takes some stuff from Jericho when he shouldn't have. They go up against AI, get their butts kicked. Joshua throws himself on the ground, tears his clothes, sprinkles dust on his head. And I loved God's response to Joshua. He says, Joshua, get up. He says, what are you, what are you doing? The reason you're, in, he's like, Joshua says, God, why would you lead us here just to, to let us lose to these people? He says, Joshua, get up. It's because there's sin. It's because you didn't follow my instructions because you didn't follow me. It's because you didn't listen. We see it again in chapter nine, the Gibeonites. Don't make covenant, don't make promises, don't make treaties with anybody living in the land. The Gibeonites come, they're like, hey, we traveled from a faraway land. Look how old our bread is. They lived right down the road. Made treaty with them. Why? The Bible says that they did not inquire of the Lord. Like how long until we learn her lesson? You know what I've learned? Like the Israelites, as we continue in this Bible reading plan, what we will see is this pattern, obedience, disobedience in the fruit, obedience, disobedience in the fruit, obedience, disobedience in the fruit, and it's the same pattern I've seen in my life. Obedience, disobedience in the fruit. Obedience, disobedience in the fruit. And I don't know about you, but I want more of the fruit of obedience, that whole prosper and success side of things, rather than the fruit of what's produced when I lean on myself and I trust in myself. God, help me to stay humble. Help me to stay teachable. Help me to listen to your word and be obedient to where you call and to what you call me to. And as I do, I'm thankful that it's not me that produces the fruit, but it's you that produces the fruit in me. Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. We're going to pray in just a moment. If you're not I would encourage you, if you're not reading along with us, the ushers on your way out we will have some of the physical copies. If you want a physical copy, if you want a digital copy, it's on our, our app or our website. Listen, from Joshua chapter 1 to Joshua chapter 11, like, we could literally spend all year just in that. There's so much in that scripture that I encourage you, if, if, if you haven't read it, go home and read it. Follow along, allow the Holy Spirit to, to bring out some of those principles and to speak to you and to, to challenge you and to encourage you and to correct you where you need to be corrected. Because when we come on Sunday, like I can't, I can't give it all to you. I can give you like snack size, bite size, but hopefully through this, you're learning how to cut your own meat so that you can go home and feed yourself a little bit during the week as well. Amen. Let me pray for you today. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence that's here with us. We thank you for your promise. God, we thank you that that even as you delivered the Israelites and you consecrated them and you led them into their inheritance, God, we thank you that you've delivered us. Lord, for those that are in this place or watching online and and they haven't experienced that delivery from the bondage to sin, from slavery to sin, that, that maybe they haven't placed their faith and their hope, their trust in you, Your word says that all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. It says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, that our names would be written into the book of life and we would have the promise of of an eternal inheritance as a child of God and as a co-heir with Christ. Lord, today, if there are any that are here or watching online, Lord, we call upon you. We surrender our lives to you. We, we repent, which means to, to have a change of mind that leads to a change in action. We repent of our ways and ask that you would lead us in your way from this day forward. God, for the rest of us as we go forward this week, Lord, those that are struggling with discouragement and have been paralyzed by fear, or those who look at circumstances and situations and get a little bit freaked out. Lord, I pray that as we meditate rather on your word, rather than the word of the news anchors or the word of political pundits or the word of social media the word of our friends or the word of those co-workers Lord may we meditate on your word and as we do would you build up our faith as we seek to conquer that fear because fear and faith cannot reside together Lord as we remember your works I pray that you would help us all to build memorials that we would be able to look back on God help us to stay humble Help us to stay teachable. Recognizing that this side of heaven, we will have never arrived. We will never know it all. We will never have all of the answers and there will still be so much more for us to learn. God, I pray that you would continue that pruning process, that sharpening process in us so that we can just reflect a little bit more of your character each and every day. We love you and we thank you. Give us opportunities this week to, be salt, to be light, to share the hope that we found with those around us that need to experience it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Again, if you need a plan, pick one up. If not, love you guys. Be blessed. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning into Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life and be sure to like and subscribe for more.